Now, let each of us ask ourselves this question. Do I live a consecrated, holy, set-apart life for the one who gave everything so that I can? Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. What a privilege it is to be in the house of the Lord. What a privilege it is to know that wherever we gather, it becomes the house of the Lord. Even though this is a public school hall, we know that He is with us. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. Let us pray. Father God, as we spend time in your word this morning, I pray that you will come and minister to us. Father, I surrender to you. Holy Spirit, I surrender to you. Jesus, I surrender to you. And I ask that you come and speak through me to us. I pray that nothing that is said will be contrary to your word, but everything will be to your glory and to the edification of your church, your bride, everyone that's sitting here and listening um, online and afterwards. Thank you, Father, that your word is seed, and we choose to make our hearts good soil, ready to receive the word now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. I just want to check with everyone if you are okay after the rugby. Are you okay? I hear some people have lost some nails. Um, <laughs> might need to go again. <laughs> some of the ladies, I don't know. Um, it was quite intense, and I, 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 was, I was so amused by my boys who, you know, they stayed up late to also watch the game. Those who don't know, I've got three boys, 13, 11, and 9, and they were so into this game, and when it was looking at its bleakest, two of them decided, I'm going to go sleep now. <laughs> and then the one stayed with me, and if they heard anything positive, the, my youngest would run back and just check. What is he missing? So he didn't really go and sleep. But I've never, I don't know about you, but I've never heard them pray <laughs> like they prayed last night. <laughs> Help, Jesus. They became prayer warriors. Suddenly, out of nowhere. No, not out of nowhere. But they became prayer warriors. It was... And I said to them, guys, but this was the wrong time to say it. I said to them, this is just a game. <laughs> it has no eternal value. They were like, ach, pa, ons kan maar bid. And actually, you, you can, you can pray. Please pray, pray for them, you know. But this is not a life or death situation. It might feel like it is right now, but it's not. <laughs> But I would love for you to take this fervency that you are praying with and funnel that into something that has eternal value, <laughs> right? And I think all of us can take something from that, you know. The, there were people on their feet shouting at a TV screen last night that, that don't, they would never get up in church and raise their hands to sing hallelujah. But they will scream at 30 men they don't know. <laughs> on a television set, as if they hear them. And I do the same thing, I'm like, hey, Darcy Paul, I say, hey. We talk to them, like they can hear us. It's the funniest thing. It's like when you're in traffic and you speak to the guy in front of you in friendly Christian language, <laughs> and you think they can hear you. <laughs> anyway, but I was just, I was amazed at, um, at how this can capture a whole nation right? My prayer is that we will be capt capt captured, captivated, taken 
in a much greater way by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the truth of the gospel. May we never lose our excitement, our energy, our passion for what Jesus has come and done in each of our lives. Amen? Come on. Yes. Enjoy the rugby. It's fun. It's great. It's awesome. But let's not elevate it to something it's more than, you know. Amen. That's all I wanted to say about that. Anyway. So today we are continuing in the book of 2 Corinthians. And the message is called Set Apart. I've already given it away. It's called Set Apart. And we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians 6. But before we get there, I want to, I want to ask you, um, firstly, how many of you, with a show of hands, are a little bit, or maybe a lot, pedantic when it comes to your food and your plate touching each other? Anyone? My food must not touch other food. Okay. We have a few honest people in the house. Thank you. How many of you have kids who are like that? Your kids like, my food mustn't touch. Yes. <laughs> have you ever tried this line where you say to them, it's going to mix in your stomach anyway? <laughs> and it doesn't work, right? Yeah, it doesn't work. The food must not touch. <laughs> On a bit more of a serious note, how many of you married men? Where's all the married men? That was way too slow. And with not nearly enough excitement. If anyone ever asks you, raise your hand if you're married. Men, here's a lesson. You go like this. And you look like passionately excited about it. Why? Because you will earn points at, with your wife. There's a point system. If you haven't known. I was shocked when I found out there's a point system after getting married. Like, what? I thought I scored all the points I needed. I'm going to try again. Act like you don't know. Where's all the married men? Yes. Much better. Okay. Now, how many of you married men would have been okay with this? You get married. You have your first night, your honeymoon. The next day, your bride phones her ex and makes a date with him. How many of you would be okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. Anyone? Would it upset you? Would it be weird? Right? Of course. Why? Because her behavior is not in line with the commitment she just made. Are you with me? Following me. All right. Are there any fathers and mothers in the room? Those hands are very slow. Okay. <laughs> I just want to know from my parents, do you, do you remember that time that you, that you sent your kid to go and spend a night at someone else's house and they came back and they had no manners and they were swearing and you loved it so much? Do you remember that time when you sent them to someone else's house and they came back different than the culture that you installed in them and you couldn't wait to send them back? so that they can mix with those people again. Do you remember that time? Any parent in ever? Okay. So some of you would prefer to set apart some food types from others. Husbands, hopefully, you would expect your wife to set herself apart for only you, for intimate relationship. Mothers and fathers, I'm sure you would prefer your child to build a strong friendship with kids who come from homes with similar values as yours. Anyone? Now, do you think it is perhaps ever so slightly possible that God might have similar or stronger feelings and thoughts about his bride, about every child that he has? Is it possible? Now, let, let each of us ask ourselves this question. Do I live a consecrated, holy, set-apart life for the one who gave everything so that I can? 
Will you ask yourself that question? And if you do, what might be the answer? And if the answer isn't a 100% yes, then the question is, what could you do to get back in line or to get in line for the first time or to order your steps so that you do get there? Amen? I believe that the scripture today will help us, encourage us, inspire us, but definitely challenge us to do just that. To, pick us, to, to, to get into today's message, I'm, I am going to pick up from last week's last two verses again because it's just going to help us to, to stay in the rhythm that Paul is writing this letter, all right? So in the last two verses of chapter five, he says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. How powerful is that? That message last week was called creation reconciliation. You are a creation and through Jesus Christ you can be reconciled with the Father. All right. Now that was Paul's thought as we ended last time. Now remember, he wrote a letter and he, he wrote it right through. He didn't stop at chapter five, took a break, waited a week. He kept writing. And we need to know that as he goes into chapter six, this is his mindset. He's telling us that before Christ, each of us were unconciled. We were unconciled with our heavenly Father. But through Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to Jesus. Because of Christ, we've been justified. We've been made righteous. We are in right standing with our creator, God. Wow. May this never bore you. May this truth never get old. May you wake up every day and thank God as your creator that you breathe another day and it can be for him and with him. Amen? All right, now listen as Paul continues from this thought. He's just said, they are ambassadors, he and the apostles. They have this message that's from God to say, be reconciled to God because this is what Jesus did for us. And now he continues in 2 Corinthians 6 from verse 1. He says, when then as workers, speaking of them, together with him, also plead with you. Now he's just pleaded with them that they will be reconciled with God. So this is why he says, I also plead the following. We then as workers together with him, Jesus, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In vain means for no reason or to no effect or it's short-lived and then it stops. You're using it and abusing it. For, why should we not uh, receive the grace in vain? For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. And behold, now is the accepted time. Everybody say now. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Okay, now listen. When would you receive a gift in vain? When, when you take it from the giver, but you either, either use it for a little while, then throw it away, or you use it for the wrong reason or purpose, or you are like some people who receive a gift and try to figure out how they can exchange it for something else from the same place. How many of you know that the gift Christ gave us that we receive by grace through faith is the most precious gift we can ever receive? Did you know that? It's the most precious gift. So Paul is reminding the Corinthians, and we can listen as well. This is for us as well, that they should not receive the grace of God in vain. To not let it be of no effect in their lives or to not judge it as less than. When the Bible says do not take the Lord's name in vain, it says it's against God's will. When do we take his name in vain? When we use it in a way that it's not meant for. 
when we use it as a swear word, when we use the name above all names to curse, that's using it in vain. Now he's saying, do not let the grace that you have received, in other words, they have received it. Don't let it be in vain. Don't let it be for nothing. It's not cheap. It is the most valuable thing you can receive. Do you see that, church? Then he quotes, in this verse, the part that we read now, he's quoting Isaiah 49.8, the B part. It says, thus says the Lord. This is from Isaiah 49. In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. That's what he's quoting. Then it keeps on in Isaiah 48 and 49 saying, I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. Isaiah prophesied Jesus. Paul is quoting Isaiah prophesying Jesus. Now he says, this prophecy has been fulfilled. Because salvation has come. It is here. It is not still coming. It has come. Do you see that? Blink, blink. Should I read it again? Okay. He says, in an acceptable time I've heard you and in the day of salvation I've helped you. Now Paul says, behold, now is the accepted time. Do you remember a few minutes ago I said to you, do you say now? You said now, all right? Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So it has come. He's telling them that it has come. Now, who of you know he's speaking in, a, in, a, in an ancient language which has been translated into English and none of them speak like Afrikaans people. When we say no, we don't mean now. But Paul knew what now means. Now. It has happened. It is available. Amen. Jesus. Help me. Help me om hierdie so oor te dra dat almal wakker skrik in Jesus naam. Then, Paul says this prophecy has been fulfilled. He's speaking to a church about 2,000 years ago. All right? And Jesus has done the work. It is finished. The day of salvation from the Savior, the Messiah, is here now. Who remembers that Jesus said when he started his ministry, repent for the Kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. He's saying the same thing. The salvation is now. It's available now. You are not waiting for it any longer. Amen? There's a whole nation that we are praying for who is still waiting for the Messiah to come, who is still waiting for Isaiah 49, 8 to become fulfilled. But he has come. Amen? And we keep praying that they will see their Messiah. All right, Paul continues. He says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. How many of you know that he wrote this message in the first place because they are offended? They were offended by 1 Corinthians. That's why he wrote 2 Corinthians. We, we covered that in the first few messages. So he says, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. What's he saying? He defends his ministry by saying they gave no offense in anything, but we know that they've taken offense. So they didn't like his first letter, but he's stating that he has not given offense. Now, that only makes sense if offense is taken and not given. It also makes sense if Paul is saying that we don't get up in the morning and think of ways to offend you. We get up in the morning and think of ways to reach more people for the gospel. And we don't plan our ways of communicating the gospel in such a way to offend you. But the same Paul will tell you that the name of Jesus is an offense 
It's a, it's a stumbling stone and a rock of offense for those who don't believe. But he's saying that we do not plan our ministry to offend, but we do commend ourselves. What does he mean? We have chosen to be set apart for this one mission, and that's all we wanna do. That is who we are, and we will not stop, and we will keep going. And you need to get this, Corinthians. You need to get this church, Bride of Christ, because I'm speaking truth. And you can be offended and lose out on what God has for you, or you can let the work, word of God work inside of you and change you and take you from where you are to where God wants to be, wants you to be, and walk out your true freedom in Christ. It is your choice. <laughs> Offense will keep you away from God. Offense will keep you in a place of unforgiveness towards people and the Bible is very clear. If you do not forgive, God will not forgive you. It's a promise. It's one of the promises you don't wanna hear, but it's true. And he's dealing with their offense by telling them, we didn't offend you. How many, how many of you have tried that? with someone that is offended by you. I, I didn't offend you. Then I go, yeah, you did. I'm so offended. I didn't give you offense, you took it. That's not a great conversation. It never goes very well. Why? Because between here and there, there's pride. And most of the time that pride manifests as jealousy and it blinds a person. They don't know that they're offended. And they think, this is the funny thing. When offense rises among believers, do you know why it's funny? It's funny because in Christ you died. So what is getting offended? Who is getting offended? Your old man? If your old man is getting offended, then you haven't died to Christ. You might need to get baptized. You might need to get a revelation of what it really means to be born again. Some of us get old man hiccups, I understand. My old man wants to get up sometimes and I have to smack him down. No, you died, stop it. Because we are renewing our minds, amen? Do not be conformed to this world. This world is offended by anything and everything. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is now the mind of Christ. Most of Paul, Paul's ministry is reminding Christians that they are Christians. You've committed to be this, now be this. Yeah, but you know, yeah, I, you don't know what they said or did. I don't care. Don't be offended. If you are offended, take it to Jesus and say, I'm offended. Help me to not be offended. I lay this at your feet. Wash me clean. I choose to forgive that person 70 times seven. I will do it tomorrow and the day after until I can feel I'm free. And then I'm gonna pray that you bless them. That is what Christians should do. Because we are no longer living for ourselves. If you get offended, then you have to check your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, after Paul says that we commend ourselves and our ministry, he starts off with an amazing list that I'm gonna to read to you right now, but I want you to focus on something from the start. There's a bunch of stuff that he says they are in or in these things, that is why you can see that they are legit in their ministry. He is trying to tell the church, hey, we set ourselves apart to be ministers of the gospel and here's how you can know that we are. All right, so this is what the list is telling us. First he says, in all these things, then he says, by all of these things, and then he says, as all of these things. I'm, I'm giving you the heads up so you are ready for this. Are you ready for the list? Wow. 
Ja, Papa. Well done, Leon. <clears throat> All right. So I'm just going to pick it up in that, in that previous sentence. Um, he says, we, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In, and now he's going to give us 10 things which are the tough stuff of ministry. He says, in much patience, in tribulations, some translations say calamity, in needs, in distresses, in stripes. That refers to being beaten for the gospel with their backs bleeding for Jesus. In, in imprisonments, being locked up for the gospel. In tumults, that's another word for angry mobs coming against them, people complaining about what they're doing. In labors, they were working very hard and tirelessly. In sleeplessness, not sleeping enough, but going and going and going for the gospel. In fastings, going without food. That's just the first 10 things. Now he says, by these following 11 things, which is now the fruit of the labor of God. So first he says, I go in through these things which are really tough, but now listen to the fruit. By purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, which is when you, get, when you have been patient, you get to this healthy place. It says, by kindness, which is a fruit of the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Wow. The fruits of the first 10 things lead to 11 fruits that are so powerful. Purity, knowledge, long-suffering, kindness, Holy Spirit, sincere love, the word of truth, the power of God, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Now, the list gets interesting because we move from by these things to the as list and there are two that come across because the as list contrasts what the world and circumstances are throwing at them as this is true, but he's saying no in Christ, in the spiritual realm, actually this is true. So he's contrasting truths. Now there's a bit of an overlap on the list with the following two things, by honor and dishonor. By evil report and good report. What is he saying? Whether people honor me or talk badly about me, I do not care. I don't have fear of man. I only follow Christ. And if I am honoring him, and if I am glorifying him, that's all that matters. Amen? Now we get to the as list, which is about being set apart. This is what it looks like to be set apart for kingdom work. He says, as deceivers, how many of you know that's negative? As deceivers, yet true. As unknown by people, yet well known. By who? My Father in heaven. As dying, remember earlier in Corinthians, he's talking about his body that's dying for Christ, for Jesus. And behold, we live because we know we have eternal life as chastened yet not killed. They've been scourged, they've been beaten, but they are not killed. As sorrowful, can you imagine the nights, the moments that they must have had where the emotions are just too much and they are crying before God, yet always in Christ they can be rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. This one is powerful. We are poor for the gospel, but we, he's not saying, but we are rich. He's saying, but we are making others rich. This is good news, guys. This is a good message. Your face needs to tell me that it's a good message. Tell your face to tell me it's a good message. All right, thank you. <laughs> This is so good. As poor, yet making many rich. How are they making many rich? By, by introducing them to Jesus so that they can get a new house and a new car. So that, so that they can always have a massive salary and never have need. So, so how, how's he making others rich? The Bible says, Jesus says, or the Bible says about Jesus, he became poor so we can become rich. What does he mean? 
What is the, what is the gift? What, is, what are the riches that we receive? What did Jesus preach when he talked about treasures? Moi, well done, Sonak School, yes. Treasures in heaven. So they are laboring, they are going through all these things, they are seeing these fruits in their lives, and they are experiencing these massive contrasts, but they are there for the kingdom of God, which a part of that is to help people become rich by meeting Jesus Christ and receiving eternal life. Amen? And then he says, as having nothing. He's already said poor. Now he says, having nothing in worldly terms, and yet possessing all things. What does the Bible say about Jesus? That he has received all things, that in him, through him, and to him, all things were created. Paul is talking about spiritual things, to possess the spiritual, why? Because Paul knows that in Christ Jesus, we are heirs of God and co-heirs of Jesus Christ. He said it in the letter of Romans. We read that. Do you remember that? Do you believe that? So when he says we, we possess nothing, yet we possess all things, he's talking about the spiritual inheritance of the saints. Come on. With all these lists, Paul gives the believers in Corinth and, Corinth and by extension to us an idea of what the set apart life actually looks like. What does it look like to give it all up, to be all in, to sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does it look like? Read the list. Meditate on the list. See how many of these boxes do I tick in my life? He's not trying to impress them with the points that he's making. He said, we commend ourselves in the ministry, in this, by this, as this. He's trying not to impress them, but to convince them that we are not in this for ourselves. Because one of the biggest arguments against them is that they are doing it for themselves. And he's saying, that's not the case. We're doing it for you. We've lost everything. We are poor in the eyes of the world. We are dying physically, but we keep going because it's all for his glory and it's all for your salvation. What an attitude. He's trying to show them how much Jesus loves them and how much they, as ministers of the gospel, love them. He's, he's saying to them, look at, look at my CV of how much I love you. Do, do you see that? Are you guys with me? All right. Then he continues in verse 11. He says, oh, Corinthians. Oh, church, oh, bride of Christ, oh, people who call themselves believers. We have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. What's he saying? We've been transparent. We've been authentic. We've been real. We've been straightforward with the truth. And then he says to them, oh, Corinthians, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. What's he saying? He's saying we are not holding you back or holding you down. You're doing it to yourselves. He says it's their own affections that are restricting them, holding them back. What are these affections? It is a distraction. It is a deterrent from a life set apart for God. For God. What did Paul just list? He lists the things that they are in, the things that by this they have received because of the things they go through, and the as list. How they have stepped out and they operate in discomfort, how they operate in inconvenience to the point of suffering and dying. They have said no to their own affections, and they have done it consistently. Paul says to them, your own affections have held you back, have restricted you. I've just given you a list of what we have chosen to do, which is what a set-apart life looks like. I'm not chasing comfort. I'm not chasing convenience. This has to die anyway. It's not about this. He's trying to get the Corinthians to understand how their choice, 
how the choice has affected their current situation. Amen? Then he says, now in return for the same, I speak to you as children, you also be open. Now for me, that sounds like a quiet papa. It's a dad who goes, all right, I've been open with you, but you have not returned it. So now I'm gonna just tell you, be open, because I'm about to tell you something important. This is what I'm hearing. Then he says, 14, verse 14, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He's not talking about the thing inside an egg. It ain't no yolk. The yoke that he is talking about is a wooden bar that joins two oxen to to each other and to a burden that they pull. An unequally yoked team has one stronger ox and one weaker, or one taller and one shorter. The weaker or shorter ox would walk more slowly than the taller ox, the stronger one, causing them to Go around in circles. That's what unequally yoked leads to. Can you see that picture in your mind? When oxen are unequally yoked, they cannot perform the task set before them. Instead of working together, they are at odds with one another. This applies to intimate relationships. It applies to marriage, and it replies, it applies to business relationships. Notice, this is very important. When it talks about being yoked together, the burden is the same. The thing that you're trying to accomplish, that's the same. But the two people joined together, pulling the same burden, are not the same. The burden is the same. The two people together trying to pull the burden, they are not the same. Can you see that picture? So, I want you to imagine an unbeliever marrying a believer. Why? Why, lady? <clears throat> why, young lady? Why would you marry a guy that doesn't believe the same as you? Oh, but it's so hot, and uh, we just love each other, you know? And, and, you know, we have take long walks on the beach and, and we just have such a lovely time together. I'm sure that eventually he will give his life to Jesus because I'm going to tell him about Jesus every day. We're going to read Bible together. And then eventually, you know, he will. <laughs> Don't be stupid. That is foolish. You will walk into a relationship where you are unequally yoked, trying to pull the burden of having a successful marriage. And you will end up going around in a circle and not understanding why. Because you've not put Jesus first. You have not prayed for a godly partner. And you haven't asked God, is this the one? And if he said no, you didn't obey. It's the same with business. Who are you getting in business with? Has God said so? Has he not said so? Have you decided or did God decide? Are you unequally yoked with an unbeliever in something right now trying to pull a burden and you feel like you're going in circles and you don't know why? Ta-da! What do we do? Now why does he say that? Why does he say, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers? Listen to this part, 14b. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial is a word that means worthless or Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever and what agreement has the temple of God with idols notice these important words 
fellowship, communion, accord, part, agreement. Do you hear these powerful words? They are all speaking of becoming united, becoming one, being bound together legally. Do you see that? Biblically, the way that it should go, what is the opposite of what Paul is saying? He's saying righteousness should have fellowship with righteousness. What does the Bible say? You are the righteousness of Christ. So who should I be, have fellowship with? With those who are in Christ. Amen? Light should have a communion with? You're catching on. Well done. Jesus said you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others. All right? So you cannot have communion if you're of the light with someone who is of the darkness. This is actually very elementary, but it's like we ignore it because we think we know better because I'm using my brain, you know, and I've got a degree and I've got all this information and I'm reading the papers and I know what's going on. I will decide who I do business with. Really? Sterkte broer. Christ in you should have accord with Christ in someone else. The Bible says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Yes, I wish I could more excited. This is so good. A believer should have, only have part with another believer. Because why? I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. So I should only have part of someone else who also have that. And then a temple of God should have agreement with only other temples of God. Why? Because the Bible says you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Do you know how valuable you are to Christ Jesus? Why would you go and harlot yourself? Not doing it this way will result in being unequally yoked and it will not have a pleasant result. That's what Paul is saying. So now, you might be asking, yeah, but can I not be friends with the unbelievers? What from Jesus? He said, I don't have to go with the Yeah, Jesus did. How many of you know that when Jesus was hanging out with the sinners, that he hung out with them so much, he was accused of being a sinner himself by religious people. So yes, he was hanging out with them. But you remember the, the story, you know, where Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house and then Zacchaeus bribed him and he took the bribe. And <laughs> when Jesus walks into the room, everyone else changes. He doesn't change. So can I, as, an, as a believer, be friends with unbelievers? Yes, you can, but you need to make very clear and very sure what you share and how you share your life with that person. If you are an, an, a believer and you want to get romantically involved with an unbeliever, I'm just saying, no, heck no, don't even go there. And don't believe the lie that you will save him. You can't save anyone, sister. Only Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit can. And a man will very seldom be led to Jesus by a woman. Very seldom. Don't put that burden on yourself. Don't. If you are in a marriage where you are the believer and your partner is not, there are great verses that support and help and lead you. It's not a lost cause. I'm not saying that. If you have made decisions that is not in line with God's will, He is the Redeemer, He is the Reconciliator. But you might have to go on your knees today and repent. Say, Lord, I've messed up. I've done this in my own strength, with my own wisdom. I'm sorry. But now I'm in this mess. Help me. And you start praying. And you start trusting. And you get your connect people around you. And we walk with you. Amen? Can I be friends with unbelievers? Yes. But the mission always has to be that I shine the light of Christ Jesus in this place. How many of you know it's easier for someone to pull you off of a table if you are standing on the table than it is for you to pull them up onto the table? You have to be very strong 
to pull someone up on a table and you have to have others on the table with you to help you pull them up. Don't be unwise. Don't be foolish. You are not Jesus yet. You are being conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, but you are not him yet. Yeah, you know, I'll just hang out in the bars and, and be there to lead people to Jesus. Yeah, good luck, dude. Are you going alone? Yeah, 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 I can handle this. No, you can't. Don't be foolish. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two for a reason. Support and accountability. Why does Paul say you cannot be unequally yoked with unbelievers? And then he goes on to say that you cannot have fellowship. He goes into the whole list that we went through. Why did he say that? Verse 16b, for you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, listen, Paul says, he's quoting again the Old Testament, a prophetic word that God said about one day through my son Jesus Christ, this will be the case. They will be my people, I will be their God and I will dwell among them. How does he dwell among us? We become the temple of God. You host the Holy Ghost. Did you know that? When you are a believer, you've given your life to Christ, you are a temple of the living God. It's a holy place. What are other words for holy? Set apart, consecrated. Can you see what Paul is busy with? Then he says, therefore, because you are a temple of God, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. This is not Paul's opinion. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Almighty God. These are not suggestions. These are commandments to the people of God to take seriously. My brother, my sister in Christ, I can say this softly, I can say this loudly, I can say this with as much passion as I can muster. I hope to God that the silence is not an indication of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your spirit right now. And I know, I know. You're processing, you're listening. And God is working. I hope that you are so challenged by this thought that I am a temple of God. And because I'm a temple of God and God dwells in me and among us, I have to come out from among them and be separate. I have to come out and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. How many of you remember me telling you that the Bible is full of if and then statements? Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. We serve a holy God that has called a holy people to be set apart for him and him alone. The same way, husbands, that you will not be okay with your wife dating someone else while you're married. Just magnify that with how God feels about you who one day said, yes, yes, Jesus, I give everything to you. I live for you. I give my life to you. This is all about you. And then a couple of months down the line, you're dating money. You're dating alcohol. You're dating some kind of addiction. You're hanging with people that God told you to come, come out from among them. Do not mix with the unclean things but you've compromised and compromised and started walking in that direction again. And you're like, yeah, oh, you know, I'm, by grace, through faith, I'm saved, I'm, I'm fine. What are you doing? The grace that you have received, you've taken in vain. The people who have sacrificed everything so that you can hear the gospel, so that you can receive 
by grace, through faith, the gift of Christ. And you can get up from that, turn your back on that, walk away, and, and just treat it like it's nothing. We have to humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've treated your things lightly, that I've not taken it seriously. Because we all probably fall short of what Paul is saying. And we can all come to a place where we say, thank you, Jesus, that I am a temple of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you've called me to come out from among the darkness to be the light, that you've called me to not touch the unclean things, but to be different, to be set apart for you. Church of Christ, holy people of God, who according to Ephesians 1, if we are in him, he has chosen and called us to be holy, blameless, since the beginning of time, before the foundations of the earth, I want to call you to come into this beautiful place of being set apart for the King and for His work. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church Podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.